Good morning. All right, turn to someone and say, you are not the enemy. Wow, so many husbands hesitated. Okay, now to turn, now turn to somebody that you came with that you love and say you're not the enemy. All right, we're going to do it one more time, and this time you've got to mean it. You are not the enemy. Okay, good. Now I believe you. We do not fight against flesh and blood. The enemy is not people. People are not the enemy. But here's the challenge. Here's one of the reasons why we struggle with that is because Satan does some of his best work through people. People that have aligned themselves in opposition to God and his work. And that can be someone who has not surrendered their, their life to Jesus. It can also be someone who has. But people are not the enemy. We're in Nehemiah, and I want to encourage you to join me there in chapter 4. And we're going to pick it. We're going to read there in just a minute. Here's what's happened. And, and it, the, timely, the timeliness of this message is not lost on me. God's people came together with a common cause, and they began to build, and that created momentum. And momentum will always attract opposition. Momentum in God's favor, God moving through his people, his people coming together in mass and moving in the same direction will create momentum, and momentum will always attract opposition. Last Sunday, the timeliness of this for me, I witnessed that last Sunday. You know, we started at 7 o'clock. Where's Nate? You going to do that next year? Okay, too soon. All right, we'll see. We'll find out next year. We started at 7 o'clock with a sunrise service. We had food. People were setting up. There was all this stuff out here. People were serving food. People were eating. We had a, a worship service together and all kinds of moving parts. And then we had, wasn't it cool, the, the kids coming over and collecting the eggs and putting them in their basket. And all this stuff was going on. And it is the result of God's people moving, coming together, moving in the same direction to build something. How did you feel Monday morning? Good. I did not. <laughs> I felt tired. I felt, you know, the, 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 we'd just been to Disneyland, and now I'm home, and oh, Monday morning. And, and I, was on, I was leaving on a trip to go visit my grandkids, so I should have been like, woohoo, you know, good stuff to come. But there was this, just this inner sense of, now what? And what is going to happen? What's the fruit of that going to be? Anytime God's people come together in response to his direction and they work together to build something, it creates momentum, and momentum always attracts opposition. So what do we do? Because remember where we started, people are not the enemy. But Satan does some of his best work through people who are willing to align themselves against God. And that's what we find in Nehemiah chapter 4. Last week, or two weeks ago, when Matt was taking us through chapter 3. Wasn't that exciting? Come on, that was nothing but good stuff. There was a few glimpses where, pe you know, there was some people that didn't work, those noble people. But how encouraging to see God's people come together, what, regardless of what your occupation was or your background or your capacity, everybody came together and they started building in all these different places around the wall. And momentum began to build. 
in the form of the wall begin to take shape. It's actually happening. These non-construction people are building a wall around the city of Jerusalem. Remember, momentum always attracts opposition. Chapter 4, verse 1, when Sanballat, we met him the other day, a few weeks ago, we're going to see him again in our study of Nehemiah. When Sanballat hears that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah is telling the story. When word gets out, when momentum is visible, the wall is actually being built to the surprise don't you feel that? Send ballot. What? Wait, someone comes into his office and says, here's a, here's a memo. What, what's it? What? Wait a minute. Come here. Come here. Tell, tell what? The wall, they're building the wall? No way. Really? Yes, San ballot. It's happening. Look at his reaction. He's furious. He's furious, and he begins to mock the Jewish people. He begins to mock them before his, in his office or his court or wherever he holds court, and his colleagues, the people that are part of his team. He mocks them before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria. Isn't that interesting that he's gathered the powerful men of Samaria? They're around him. Would we say he's the ringleader? Do we use that word anymore? Does anybody know what that means? Okay. I'm not sure I even know where it came from or what a ringleader is. Is there a ring and he's the circle? Circuit. Oh, okay, the circus. So he's like the, oh, he's the guy with the hat. And Okay. So the ringleader, the guy with the hat, Sanballat, he has the powerful men of Samaria. They, he, they have his ear. They're with him, and he says this. He says, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Come on, can they restore it by themselves? Do they have the ability, the capacity, the resources to do this? Will they offer sacrifices? little reference to the fact that the temple had been, been rebuilt, but worship wasn't happening. The people of God were not living like the people of God. Are they going to start living like the people of God? Are they going to start putting this back into practice where they're bringing sacrifices to the temple? Will they ever finish what they've started? Can they really bring these burnt stones, all this rubble that's been broken down, can they really bring back to life these stones from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, here's the sidekick. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, ha, ha, indeed, ha, ha, ha. Even if a fox goes crawling up on, the, on what they're building, he's going to knock it down. Ha, 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 And everybody in the room laughs. Just like that. Even if a fox walks up on this work they're doing, he would break down their stone wall. And then it cuts back to Nehemiah and his response to this moment. Listen, our God. Listen, our God, for we are despised. You see what's happening. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land from, of captivity, just as the Israelites had been earlier. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have provoked the builders. They have stirred up things inside the builders. So, after he prays, he says, we rebuilt the wall. We go back to our stations. We go back to chapter 3. The people go back to their positions, and they begin to continue to build the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had the will 
the determination to keep building. I want to say it a couple of times this morning. I want to be clear. People are not the enemy. The person sitting next to you is not the enemy. The person in office is not the enemy. Your boss, your neighbor. But Satan does some of his best work through those who are willing to align themselves against God. And these enemies of God attacked the people of God as they were rebuilding. They specifically attacked their thinking. They hadn't physically done anything, right? They just began to attack how the people of God were thinking. You guys are pathetic. You're on your own. Did you catch that? You can't do this alone. The implication is you are all by yourself. There's nobody on your side. You're surrounded. You'll never finish. You guys don't have what it takes. You'll never get past your past. Why was there rubble? Remember? There was rubble because God had judged his people after 300 plus years of rebelling against their God. And finally God carried them away in judgment. And the walls were torn down. And now here they are building the walls. And all this rubble, all these burnt stones were reminders. We saw this in chapter 1 of their past. Take a look around, Israelites. This is all your mess. And they attacked how they thought about themselves. They attacked how they thought about God. Now that has the earmark of Satan all over it, does it not? He is the accuser of the brethren. So the enemy, working through people, will try to attack how we think, specifically how we see ourselves and how we see God, who we believe God to be. You know, maybe, are we, what are we thinking? Whose idea was this? Take a look around. There's a lot of rubble. Nehemiah, you're not, you're not, a, you're not a contractor. What do you, you know, why didn't you call Dave and have Dave, you know, kind of lead this effort? You know, do, what are the permits? What are, where's the, I mean, what are we thinking? How are we going to do this? And is God with us? Take a look around. We say, yeah, but take a look at all this rubble. How did this happen? It's because we sinned and God judged us. Is he really on our side? Is he really with us? Can we really do this? Can we, as God's people, build for God? Can we be part of what God is doing? How do we respond? And that's really the question that is on my heart this morning. How do we respond to opposition? How do we respond to attacks from the enemy? People are not the enemy. But Satan does some of his best work through those who align themselves against God in opposition to God. So what do I do? Well, can I give you some suggestions this morning? More than suggestions. I think these are principles that we need to live by, that I want to live by. And the first one is in these verses. Don't give in and don't give up. Don't give in to faulty thinking. Don't give in to the lie. Do you hear the lies? I do. Do we always recognize them as lies? No. And do the lies come from within? Yes, they do. Even with the presence of the Holy Spirit, my flesh can still go this direction. I can still, I can have faulty thinking about who I am and about who God is. And that's what the enemy wants to influence. That's what he wants to shape. When he accuses the brethren, what is he doing? He's attacking the idea that in Christ I am forgiven. I've been restored. I am in his family. I'm adopted into his family. And I'm his. 
in my, in my messed up, broken self, this new creation has taken place, and the Holy Spirit has moved in. He's taken up permanent dwelling, and I am his. But he wants to attack that. And he wants to attack our, our thinking, and, and we, we struggle not to give in to the idea that, well, maybe God is distant. Maybe God has abandoned us. Maybe we are on our own. Have you taken a look around lately? Have you taken a look at what's happening in our families and in our, in our community, in our government, in our world? Maybe he has. Don't give in to the lies. Don't give in to the false attacks. And don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. Nehemiah models a pattern for us. We saw it in chapter 1. We'll see it a couple of times here, and it will continue. Nehemiah's first response, he is a first responder, and his first response to opposition is always the same. He hits his knees and he prays. Every time. He, he, he describes, here's what's happening. Here's, here's the attacks. God, our God, Lord, our God. Here, do you see what's happening? Do you hear... He turns to God and he, and he prays. Don't give up on God. In fact, let me say it this way. Pray in faith. When you're under attack or you are questioning, you're, you're thinking about who you are and who God is, it's going to require faith to cry out to God. You with me? It's the last thing that we, we, we naturally do. Don't we? When we're struggling, we disconnect. We disconnect from the person sitting next to us, don't we? We put, bare, we put distance between us. We disconnect from our church family. We disconnect from God's word. Come on, let's be real. When we're struggling and we're questioning who God is and, and we're listening to things that we shouldn't listen to, we're giving it a home in our thinking, we disconnect from these things. And so it's a prayer of faith. It's a cry of our heart that says, God, do you see what's happening our God, my God, I'm crying out to you in faith that your promises are still true, that you are who you've always been. And I anticipate that you will hear and you'll respond. Not only do we pray in faith, but how do we not give in and don't give up is we build by faith. I love this part of it. They go back to the wall. They go back to the wall and they begin to build. After all that's happened so far, and there's more to come, but up to this point, they go back to the wall. They pray, and they build. I've, I've said this to myself for years. Well, <laughs> let's be real, decades now. And uh, I've said it to many other people. When we're in, in the moment like this, what do, we, what, do we, what do we do? Where do we start? You start with what you know. You start with what you know to be true. And so they pray, and then they go back to the wall. I'm convinced, we're convinced, God is in this. God is working through Nehemiah. This is what God wants to happen. And I don't know if we're going to be able to finish it, and I don't know if we have what it, it takes, and maybe some of the things those guys are saying are true, but I know God wants us to rebuild the wall for his glory. He wants to restore hope to his people. So what do we do Monday morning? I'm going to go back to the wall, I'm going to go back and build. In that place that I was assigned with, with my family or my Whoever, I'm going to go back and build. Don't give in and don't give up. That is the intent of the opposition of Satan. 
He wants you and I to give in to the lies, to believe them, embrace them. And he wants us to give up on God. Circumstantially, what I see and what I'm hearing. Uh, and he wants to change our view of who God is. Has God changed? No, he hasn't. Don't give in and don't give up. Nehemiah chapter 4, back there again, verse 7, the next paragraph. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, let me interject, their, their, their rumors and all that they were doing wasn't working, what they had done so far, the opposition so far was ineffective. When they heard that the work was continuing, they became furious. First it was just Sanballat. Now the whole group is furious. And they plotted together. They plotted together. Remember, momentum always attracts opposition. They plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem. Wow. It's stepping up. They decided, we got to put together a plan. We're going to literally, need, we need to go fight these people. And we need to throw it into confusion. Somehow Nehemiah is aware of this. And what does he do? He prays. But notice something. This time it says, we prayed. Do you see it? The opposition goes from a ringleader to a group of people. And what does the leader of God's people do? It goes from him praying to the people of God, right? Come on, let's get together. Let's in one voice. Let's pray to our God. And he stations a guard because of their threats. He stationed a guard because of them. And he stationed the guard day and night, day shift and night shift. Now listen to this next section. And I want you to keep something in mind. This is kind of a side, but I think it's important. Words matter. The things that come out of our mouths matter. In Judah, in the area there, it was said, here's what people were saying. The strength of the laborers failing. People are talking with each other. Oh man, I keep hearing, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. Everybody's getting tired and we're running out of gas, as we might say today. There's just so much rubble. The job is so big. It's so overwhelming what God has asked us to do. Oh, I'm so tired. Yeah, me too. You hurt. Yeah, so is so are these people. Everybody's tired. We're, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. I just don't see how we can do it. And they're talking among themselves. Then Nehemiah says, our enemies said, here's what's coming out of the mouths of the opposition, they won't know or see anything until we're right among them and we can kill them and stop the work. When you least expect it, we got a plan. Let's spread the word. They won't see it coming. You get the effect of that, right? Right? That, that, does that not become consuming? They won't know or see anything until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, the people in the outskirts of Jerusalem were coming in to Jerusalem to do business, to be a part of the work. It doesn't tell us, but the Jews who lived out in the outskirts of the city, they began to arrive, and they said to us time and again, 
They kept saying it over and over. All these different people showing up to buy stuff, sell things, to help, whatever. They come to do their business. They're coming in. And everybody in the, the surrounding area is saying the same thing. They all keep saying, this is trending on Twitter. This is hashtag, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I don't know enough to fill in. Yeah, I know. I, sorry. Facebook, it's trending on whatever. Social media. Everybody that comes in says, guess what? Everywhere we turn, no matter what we try to do, they're attacking us. It's happening all in the, in the suburbs, if you will, of Jerusalem. They've already begun to attack. So Nehemiah stationed people. I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by the families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And after I made an inspection, after I checked out what I'd done and I made sure everything was covered, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and all the people there, the rest of the people, this is what I told him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for one another, for your countrymen, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. The opposition is, is, is intensifying, and what does Nehemiah do? He prays, and he begins to take action. You know, it's interesting when you look at the, the names that are listed here in, in the beginning of this part, in verse 7. Sanballat and the Samaritans are from the north. Tobiah and the Ammonites are from the east. And the Arabs are from the south. And the men of Ashdod, which are Philistines, are from the west. Don't miss that. Because the Jewish people didn't miss that. We are surrounded by enemies. The opposition is on every side. There's no place for us to go. And as these people come in and say, I'm telling you, it's happening. I was, I was going to the market, and they, they attacked me and stole my stuff. I was going down to get water, and they came and attacked. I went to Home Depot to get some lumber, and they attacked me. Every, everywhere we turn, now the enemy is attacking their hearts, their emotions. And it jumps out at me that they did something very specific. They attacked clarity with confusion. They attacked confidence with doubt and they attacked commitment with fear they came after the clarity of God's people what they were doing why they were doing it and they tried to stir up confusion they tried to get people to stop thinking about the wall and what God was doing and how he was rebuilding hope instead they needed to think about when is the attack going to come when do I have a shovel and when do I have a sword and they attacked confidence with doubt are you sure we can do this? We are outnumbered here. Are we sure we heard right from God? This is what he wanted us to do? And they attacked commitment with fear. Maybe it's time just to call it quits. This is too hard. There's too much to do. This is, this is dangerous. It's getting out of hand. They're going to come attack us physically. How do we respond to opposition? How do we respond to attacks? Can I encourage us, and I, I mean this sincerely, to encourage us, don't be surprised by opposition. Be prepared for it. It's going to come. I, 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 my heart laments for the American church because we've had it so easy for so long. Now, I know some are going to push back and say, you don't know my life, and, and I'm, I'm not minimizing the pain and the struggle and the challenges that we've faced. But I've been in a lot of different places around this world, and I've seen the church in the setting that they're in. 
And by comparison, we have had it easy. And I think we've taken it for granted. And we've gotten a little bit lax, a little bit lazy, maybe even a little bit entitlement mindset. That we should have a building, we should have air conditioning, there should be comfortable chairs, the lighting should be good, the music should be awesome. You know, and we, and we just go down that list. And I think we're sometimes surprised when opposition comes into our life. Instead of being surprised, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And, I, and I, I've said it, but let me say it again. I, th- three things came to mind from Nehemiah's example. We need to pray. Are you with me? We need to pray individually, one-on-one, as married couples, as a church. It needs to be just a normal thread through our life. That we're crying out to God and asking God to move, to restore his glory, to rebuild hope, to help us in, in, in fighting against the opposition. Number two, we need to guard our hearts. Literally, he puts guards on the weak spots around the wall. Did you notice that? He, he identified where is it that the enemy is going to attack, and I'm going to place guards there. Can I do that in my own life? I certainly can. I can identify the weak spots in my life. Paul might say that you need to identify the the chinks in the armor, the gaps in the armor, the missing pieces of armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following. Remember that? Put on all the armor. Kurt, just don't be surprised when Satan comes at you. And don't be surprised how he comes at you. You should have already identified where the weak spots in the wall are. And fill that gap. You pray and you guard your heart. If it's television, then take steps to guard your heart. If it's what you read, if it's the music you listen to, if it's the people that you're letting speak into your life, if it's you, you're not consistent in, in, in feeding on God's word, if you're kind of halfway committed to being connected to people in the body of Christ, if it's that you, you, you have gifting that God's given you and you have resources and you're not using them to build for his kingdom, can I, I you with me? You gotta, you gotta identify that. Don't be surprised at the enemy's attacks. Be prepared. Do an inspection like Nehemiah did. Instead of walking around the wall and looking for the gaps, look at your life, look at your relationships, look at what you're feeding on. Identify the weak spots and then guard your heart. Station guards, if you will, at those breakpoints. Those weak. Is that, am I making sense at all? Let's not be surprised. Let's be prepared. So pray, guard your heart. And I love the leadership of Nehemiah. I've told you before. This he is. He is. He's my, God has taught me more in leadership through Nehemiah than, other than Jesus, anyone else. And I love his leadership here. He gets up in front of the people and he, and he says, don't be afraid. What is he doing? You pray, you guard your heart, and you proclaim the truth. You proclaim the truth. Did you hear what he said? Don't be afraid. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. Remember who you know God to be. Fight for your countrymen. Fight for your sons and daughters. Fight for your wives and homes. We're a family. We're a community. We're God's people. 
Remember who God is and get your eyes off of yourself and fight for those around you. Stand for the one on your left and on your right. If you're married this morning, look at the person. Look at each other. Hopefully you're next to each other. That's who you're fighting for. Do it. Set an example, Matt and Amy. Come on. Stacy wants us all to look at her before she does it. Okay, Stacy. <laughs> That's who we're fighting for. That's who we're standing next to for. That's the truth. We pray, we guard our hearts, and we proclaim the truth. We stand up. I gotta move on. Let me say this, and I'll move on. We fight fear with the facts. You struggle with fear, fight fear with the facts. You say, well, it doesn't, they don't feel like the facts. I get it. But you keep fighting fear with the facts. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound judgment. That's the facts. Those are the facts. That's the truth. He is. But we are so prone to listen to the lies. You fight the lies with the facts, with the truth, not your emotions, but with the facts. Clarity, confidence, and commitment. Okay, join me back in chapter 4, verse 15, and we're wrapping up. One more point. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme, we were on to them, and that God had frustrated it. If you mark your Bible, would you underline that or put a highlight or something? There's the facts. God frustrated the, the plans, the schemes of the opposition. God had already taken care of it. So when they heard that their scheme had failed, that God had frustrated, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. There it is again, back to work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah. Now this phrase here, I really believe, is, is referring to those those soldiers that came, these, these military people that came with Nehemiah back when the king sent him back, that involved, maybe not all of them, but that included are these Babylonians or these people that were in the service to, to the king of Babylon that, that had sent Nehemiah, and now here they are joining the team, and they're supporting the work. They're supporting all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. You get it? A shovel in this hand and a sword in this hand. A shovel in this hand and a sword in this hand. Each of the builders had his sword strapped, maybe not on their hand then, strapped to his waist. Sorry, I don't know about swords. On your waist. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building. And the trumpeter, the one who would call for help, was beside me. And so Nehemiah says this. He says to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, this work is enormous. It's a big job, and we're spread out. And we're all separated from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us, rally to the trumpet. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. And knowing that, we continued the work. While half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. Anybody want to complain about their shift at work? <laughs> at that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem. Come inside the wall so that they can stay, stand guard night by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my men, and the guards with me never took off our clothes. They didn't even stop to shower. Okay, just let your imagination go there. Yeah, see Sharon's face? 
Yeah. Woo! It'd be ripe, right? But what's his point? The point is we were, we were prepared. We were on task. We had a shovel in this hand and a sword in this hand. And we never let down our guard. We didn't even take time to go refresh and take a shower and change clothes. We slept in our clothes, each of us carrying our weapon, even when we were washing our face or getting something to eat or whatever the task was. We were always on duty. So how do we respond to the opposition? What's the lesson here? Don't retreat in the face of opposition. Don't retreat. Stay on the front line. Stay on the front line. I, I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and this picture came back to my, about this, and, and this picture came back to my mind this week. This idea of the church. Are we a cruise ship, or are we a battleship? Are we a cruise ship where we've all come, Ron prayed for it this morning, where we all come and we want the food to be, you know, what, there's no donuts? What's wrong with, you know, this is not a good day. And the coffee's not hot, or the, there's not my chair where I like to sit, or the, the temperature in here's not right, or we come, oh, I didn't like that song, or... Boy, Nate, what's playing electric guitar? You know, you're not there yet, man. Come on, wait till you get a little better. You know, we're friends. You know, whatever it might be, right? And we just like, oh, man. And we come in expecting to be served and our needs met. Or are we a battleship? I hope so, because what happens on a battleship? I'm a Navy brat. My dad was on a destroyer. And everybody on a ship has a task. Rangefinder. Okay, for the gunner, or maybe you're the, the guy slopping the stuff on the toast or whatever, you know, you're, you're out ho washing the, you all have, a, everyone on the ship has a task, but when general quarters goes out, when the captain says, man your battle stations, everybody, what happens? Everybody becomes a warrior, becomes a soldier, becomes, I'm going to stand next to him and next to her, and, and we're, we've got the shovel, we've got the spatula, we've got the paintbrush, and I've got my sword. I've got my shovel, and I've got my sword. We have to ask ourselves that individually. Do we see church as a cruise ship or a battleship? And if we're a battleship, then I have a task. God's given me giftedness that I need to be using. But I need to remember always that there is opposition. Momentum always attracts opposition, and I need to be ready, not surprised, prepared. Why? Because the one on my left and the one on my right are precious to me, and they're precious to God. And so don't retreat. Don't step away from that. If you've already retreated, I'm, I beg you, as a, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Pick up your shovel, pick up your sword, and stand with those on your left and right. We need you. We all need each other. And I know it's easy to be discouraged and say, you know what, I'm tired of the front lines. I just, I want ease. In fact, <laughs> my wife found, I have a button. I'm going to bring it to my office. I have it at my And it says, that was the, and I push it, and a man's voice goes, that was easy. And I'm going to put it on my desk, because there's moments when I want to go, oh good, that was easy. Don't we want life to be easy? We want it to go God's way. But momentum always attracts opposition, and that puts us in the front lines. And we need each other just as they needed each other. Amen. Don't retreat. We're not on a cruise ship. And if you came this morning, maybe you're newer, and you thought, I, and I'm not, I, I, please, hear it with grace and love. You came in thinking, man, this is like a cruise ship. And I'm, you know, I'm glad you came. And if that draws you, please, good. I'm glad you're here. But know this. 
God intends the church, this community, to be a battleship where everyone discovers, what's my giftedness? What has the Holy Spirit given me? How does he want me to use that? And every one of us is called to be carrying a sword in our hand, the sword of truth, because the attack can come at any time. It will come at any time. So let me close. If you're a note taker, I think these will be on the screen behind you. Maybe one or two of these will stick in your memory, something you need to write down. You need to pick up a shovel and strap on a sword. Some of you have them. Some of you walked in this morning with a shovel and a sword. Some of you, maybe one or the other, maybe neither one. God is asking you to pick up a shovel and pick up a sword. And as a part of this church family, I'm asking you, pick up a shovel and pick up a sword. Strap on that sword. Pick up a shovel. Number two, return to the work. Every time there's an attack, every time there's opposition, every time we become discouraged, do you see the pattern? You get back to the wall. You get back to the wall. You pray. You call out to God. You, re, you remind yourself of who God is and who you are to him, and you get back to the wall. You get back to your spot. Number three, rally to the ones in need. Rally to the ones in need. When you see attack coming somewhere else, run to that weakness in the wall and support your brothers and sisters, whoever they are. And number four, remember who it is that fights for you. Nehemiah is very clear who it is that fights for you and me. Praise God. Man, it's hard to believe sometimes. But that's who he is, and that's what he's promised. Remember who fights for us. I'm going to invite our, our team, our worship team, to come. We're going to respond this morning, and we're going to sing. You're going to be invited to sing, and I pray that you will respond this morning with your heart, from your heart, and let it come out of your mouth. We're going to, in a moment, we'll talk about the Lord's table and have some other opportunities to respond this morning. And so I want to lead us in a moment of prayer. I invite you to join me as they prepare to lead us. Let's ask God to prepare our own hearts. The truth is, in the hour of our greatest need, in the midst of our darkest fear, hope lives. In the hour of our greatest need and in the midst of our darkest fears, hope lives. Remember who fights for you and fights for me. I want you to say to someone here this morning, you're not the enemy. Don't, everybody said it to me. Okay, I take that personally. Say it just, you're not the enemy. We have an enemy. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. He fights for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of who you are, your nature, your commitment, your covenant that you make with your creation. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to take my place, the one who knew no sin, the one who was perfect, the God-man nailed to a cross for me. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and giving your life for conquering death. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present right now in every one of us who has 
been adopted into your family. Thank you for being present. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that it's not my voice that matters, but Father, it's your voice, it's your word that matters. Help us in this moment to respond according to your work in us this morning. And we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.